The holidays are upon us. It's not quite Advent season yet, so why not look behind the curtain of the Messiah to be born? In this month's episode, we are combing the scriptures in an effort to learn more about Jesus' earthly parents. After all, when's the last time you got into your Bible solely to read about them and them alone? Here on the podcast, we release a new episode every month with surprise bonus lessons sprinkled throughout. Find someone to learn with. Surely we can all agree that we grow best when we grow together. We're always more than humbled when you take the time to share the podcast, to leave a review where you listen, to subscribe, and interact with us on social media. Thanks for supporting our mission. We are the West, and you are listening to the Verve of the Verse podcast. Can you believe it's November already? I can. You can? <laughs> yes. Do you know how many people would actually say, yes, I can? Well, no. Not- not very many. Because everyone I talk to, I say, can you believe it's November? And they all say no. Well, <laughs> I've, been, I've been counting the days. Been counting here the we days. are. <laughs> so heading into November and heading into the holiday season, are you kind of indifferent about it? Do you have any anxiety? You have any? Are you grateful for it? What are you feeling right now? I'm always grateful for this season. You know, the Thanksgiving season and then into the Christmas season. I like the holidays. Are you sure? Yeah. Like when you sit down to, to do the budget, you you love it? Oh, man, my budget's easy. I got $100 per kid. That's it. $100 per kid. You hear that? You heard that here. $100 per kid. Birthdays, Christmases, holidays, $100 per kid. That's all you get. $100 per kid. You're funny. You're funny. I'm funny. We're funny. There are kids. We decided this together. <laughs> so favorite holiday nuggets. I am so excited that Starbucks rolled out their red cups. Ugh. I think it was the 3rd of November. I didn't even notice. Yeah, he goes to Starbucks every single day. Didn't even notice he got a red cup. I went to Starbucks because I don't go to Starbucks every day. I went specifically for the red cup. And then I promptly turned on the Christmas music into my headphones to do Carline that morning. I was feeling extremely jolly. <laughs> I was ready. The kids were actually begging for the Christmas music in the car. Were they? The next day, I said, I was listening to Christmas music yesterday. Well, can we listen to it today? Of course we can. I can kind of do without the Christmas music. I only like maybe one or two Christmas songs. Well, what's really funny is I pulled into the parking lot where our daughter, who's eight, she and I sit and we wait for about 15, 20 minutes when we do homework while we wait on the big one to get out of middle school. And there was someone in the car next to me, and they were blaring Pentatonix's Christmas album, and I was so annoyed. <laughs> I want to listen to it on my own time. I don't want to listen to yours. Want to listen to it in your car? No. Well, okay, hold on. They were jamming it really loudly, and they were singing really loudly. Maybe it was the singing that was annoying. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm showing my very unchristian like <laughs> attitude here. I'm sorry. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Holiday nuggets, you just you're just whatever about it. Sure. Sure. Do you ever notice when they start putting out Christmas in October? Do you ever I mean, go kinda, to a store where you see I'm, those things? I'm super annoyed that they try to do it so early, right? Well, some people are planners. It's, like, it's like three months of Christmas. It's like, come on guys. It's 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 one day. <laughs> it is one day. But it's a big you know, that's a commercial thing. So traditions. Do we have any holiday traditions? I don't think we do. We don't even put up a tree regularly. Well, we have the last two years, but there were two years before that. We just did lights. We bought some fancy lights and we put them on things and we didn't have a tree. No. 
No tree. Can we do that again this year? No, we can't. You're going to buy me a bigger tree this year. <sighs> I've decided. A taller tree. I like the way you make those decisions on your own. We'll have to ask Mr. Budget and see what he no, thinks. I, $100. I mean, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> we did make cookies last year, but that wasn't something that we necessarily have done any other year. One of our traditions that we do have, which isn't really a tradition, is we are an anti-Santa household. Yep, no Santa here. Now, hold on. Anti-Santa means our kids have been told from a very young age, do not go to school and wreck some child's world by telling them there's no Santa. But I am Santa. But I am Santa. And there's, you know, on social media, there's been lots of things. I've seen a letter being passed around over the last several years about how to break to your kids that there is no Santa. But our... I just think that it's so hard to tell them about the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and then they wake up 8, 9, 10 years old and they realize it's not real, I feel like it makes them question the existence of God. Well, I think this was five or six years ago. We actually found maybe an article. There was something that we found and it was that argument that you tell your kids there's Santa and there's a tooth fairy and there's an Easter Bunny and yet they get to an age where they realize that that is in fact not true and they can't see those things those individuals and you can't see jesus either so how do you ration like in the mind of a child or right. someone you know struggling to form beliefs how do you rationalize that right. so no judgment if you tell your kids Absolutely about children not. but we just chose not to do that just an additional perspective so this month we're actually doing things a little different compared to our usual way we are when I say breaking from our simple method, we really just wanted to, to do something different because Christmas is coming soon. And in preparation for the season, we decided to look behind the curtain of who the Messiah was going to be and investigate his parents, Mary and Joseph. So how much do you, I feel, I feel some sarcasm coming. <laughs> how much do you feel you know about Mary and Joseph? Well, I feel like I know everything about Mary and Joseph now. Everything, <laughs> everything. I think when we everything that could be known. I mean, how many articles have we read at this point? Yeah. So my question, throwing out to you as a listener, when's the last time you looked up something on just Mary or Joseph? Because I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever had before this. I don't think I did either. No. So we've chosen to investigate these two individuals through three different perspectives. The first one is the humanity. Two young people whose future plans were completely changed. The second is the divine. The God of the universe became flesh. And the third is the eternal. The part played in history by both these two mortal individuals. So starting with the humanity, two young people whose future plans were completely changed. The big question here is, what must it have been like for this young couple who eventually became the parents to the Messiah? The Messiah. Messiah. I envision something of a soap opera <laughs> when I think about, okay, if your kids, if you have children and you've never seen a movie, it's an animated movie. It's called The Star. Our kids watch it every year and it, through the lenses of a child, views what really could have been quite the soap opera of she's pregnant and, well, I know I didn't do that and trying to figure out... It's just a really interesting movie. So that's how I envision it as a soap opera. But let's start with the ladies first. So, you know, I love numbers. 58 times in the Bible, Mary, the name Mary is mentioned 
in the NIV New Testament translation. But there are actually several others by the name of Mary. They include Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, both of which were present with Mother Mary at the crucifixion, as well as Mary of Bethany, thinking sister of Martha and sister of Lazarus. Not to say that that's all the Marys in the Bible or the New Testament, but those are the ones that are most notable. So something I've never looked too deeply into, but came across while researching for this episode, Mary's purification offering at the temple, which is something that would have been done after childbirth. It says in the Bible that Mary gave two pigeons, which signifies that she wasn't able to afford a lamb, going back to Leviticus chapter 12. So how counterintuitive was the humble upbringing of Jesus to the people who were awaiting Israel's next king? Yeah, from the from the lineage of David, David and Solomon. Solomon and these, these rich kings and Yeah. I think that Solomon wasn't he I know it says something in the Bible about him being like the richest of Right. Just imagining this great wealth and Jesus's earthly mother couldn't even afford a lamb for the purification sacrifice after her childbirth. Right. It must have been confusing to them too when they read about how the Messiah will enter the city on the back of a donkey, donkey yeah. right? Like that's that wasn't the way you, uh, a nobleman traveled. Yeah. I think it also speaks to when Jesus stepped into his ministry. I know there's something, um, I can't think of the exact reference, but Jesus and um, the people questioning him as someone from Nazareth, like when he went home and I can't remember the exact verse, but Jesus talking about how a disciple is not welcome in his own hometown or something right, like that. Right. So I can imagine that it was rather confusing. Something also to be noted is that apparently Mary was widowed by the time of the crucifixion. I never thought about it that way when Jesus. I didn't was... either, but I never, I never thought about Joseph not being there. No, no, and it never. I. It was always about Christ and what was going on with Christ. I never thought about the uh, attendees, right? That's true. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he essentially gives care of his mother over to the disciple John, thinking about Jewish tradition, this is something that he only would have done if Mary did not, in fact, have a husband to take care of her. So both Mary and Joseph were born of high lineage. They were both descendants of King David from the tribe of Judah, which was actually of little value after the exile and the events to follow. Later this month, we are actually going to be recording a book review. Our pastor, uh, Mark Forrest, we interviewed him back in July when we were talking about prayer. He's released a new book called Beyond Bethlehem. So just a quick quote from his book on the topic of this lineage. It says this, Matthew begins with Jesus's genealogy, and many of us skip over this part. However, the ancestry of a king is one of the most important aspects in determining who will be the rightful heir to the throne. Matthew traces the begats from Abraham down to Joseph and includes the royalty of David. Some say, why Joseph? Jesus was conceived by God through Mary. However, it is through Joseph that Jesus gets his royal right to the throne. When Joseph named Jesus at his birth, that act itself was claiming Jesus as his own and making Jesus the rightful heir. Luke's gospel records the genealogy of Mary, who was also in the royal line of David. But the way the law worked in the first century was that the legal right to the throne came through Joseph. The hereditary right came through Mary. 
And we talked about in our conversation leading up to this episode how inter- odd, interesting, I don't really know the right word, that both of Jesus's earthly parents were descendants of David. And then a little side note, we went looking that David had at least eight wives and 20 children. So you think about a lot of women to please generations, generations, <laughs> and generations. The DNA was well dispersed, well dispersed by that time. <laughs> it was all over the place, all over the place. In fact, the book of Luke gives the most detailed origin story of Mary. And I am going to read from chapter one. This is verses 26 through 38. Where are they? In the Bible. Really? 26 through th- There it is. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Do you think you would have responded that way? Absolutely not. (laughs) I mean, maybe if it was an angel, but, uh, you know. I mean, we're going to, you're going to read about Joseph's reaction. If you tell tell me I'm pregnant, I'm going to be like, yeah, right. (laughs) Are are you sure? (laughs) The last thing I want to say about Mary and just her humanity, this woman who would become the mother of the Messiah Looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 19, this is after the shepherds have come to visit the newborn Jesus. It says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I, as a woman and as a mother, can just imagine these people showing up and saying all these things. This is after this angel showed up, and this is after you've gotten pregnant, even though you've never engaged in the act to become pregnant, treasuring up these things and pondering them in her heart. I cannot imagine how heavy it was. It was probably just awe-inspiring. She was probably blown away at... I mean, we we see God, I, that makes sense, because we see God move in our lives, and we see his hand at work. And this is not anywhere... In comparison to... Being right. directly, in, like, encountering him or an angel directly. So, yeah, I think you're right. On to the Bowie's. So moving on to Joseph, we see the Strongson coordinates identified 36 occurrences of the name Joseph, but we find the Joseph earthly father of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, both in the first and second chapters. Matthew chapter one gives the greatest detail as to Joseph's encounter with the angel Gabriel. It says this starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is not mentioned as being around when Jesus began his public ministry. He is conspicuous by his absence. Almost all the research I have found agrees that he had died before the time Jesus revealed himself to the world. We know nothing of the circumstances surrounding his death in Scripture. But one of the things I found noteworthy is that both Mary and Joseph were given the name Jesus to bestow upon their son separately. How great a confirmation it must have been when they were able to discuss this and both had recorded being told the same thing by an angel. Goes, bing, 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 bing. Right. It goes back to the... What we were talking about earlier. We were discussing how many times you think you hear God right. and you walk away. You you begin doubting yourself immediately, but when when your wife says the same thing two days later, you're like, "Ooh." <laughs> well, I wonder though. This is totally just taking it too far. Not even not too far, but you know what I mean. Mary telling him, "Oh, I'm pregnant. We're gonna have this baby named Jesus," and he thinks to divorce her quietly, and he ponders it, and then goes to sleep. And do you think she told him the name before the encounter? I don't know. We'll ask them. Someday. See, in my mind, it, it happened after. No, but it says what you just read. He was faithful to the law. He didn't want to expose her because she'd already been found pregnant by that time. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. How pregnant was she that he just found out? I mean, I mean they didn't have like... sonograms and things back then. It had to be pretty, you know, far enough along that she was showing. You got a baby bump? Maybe, maybe baby was moving by that time. I mean, that's that's a couple months down the road. I mean, I don't know. It says the angel came to you, came to Mary and said that she was with child. I'm sure she just went to Joseph and told him that. I, I doubt that she was showing at the time. <laughs> the logistics of this situation, we could... <laughs> They're complicated. We could talk about for a while. This is actually a pretty deep topic that you could spend a lot of time... We, we probably spent 30 minutes alone just trying to figure out who in the heck all the Marys are. Yeah. Is it this Mary? Is it that Mary? Well, you know, this commentary says there's no way of knowing who this Mary is. It's it's deep. Well, let's move on to the divine. The divine. The God of the universe become flesh and the two people who it was that raised him. So the big question here is, what must it have been like for the parents of the Messiah? When I think about this, I always remember the meme where Jesus is a child hovering above the bathwater that Mary is commanding him into. <laughs> but obviously, I know it wasn't like that, but the Bible does not really give us a lot of information about Jesus' childhood years and in turn what it must have been like to be his parents. Other than the time in Luke chapter 2 
we see in verses 41 through 48 that Jesus was missing for three days by the time his parents found him at the temple. As a parent who can admit to losing my child briefly in a store, I can totally relate to Jesus' parents in this passage. It says this, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they immediately went back to Jerusalem looking for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now my question for you is this. How would you have responded to witness your son, who has relied on you for every meal and breath over the last 12 years, to begin to become the awe-inspiring Messiah that he was to become? Well, we have a 12-year-old. Right. By that exact age right now. And if he was missing for three days and when you found him, he was in the temple, what, how would you respond? How would I respond? Well, he, he's he got an interesting little mind, our son, and he asks things and he's curious about things and he's beginning to develop an understanding of things. I can see this story. I can begin to see how the Messiah would unfold as much as humanly possible right in the in the heart and the mind of a 12 year old but do you really do you think he knew what he was saying like that's that's the part i then that's a whole nother episode but that's the part that you and i have i mean i don't think he was your average 12 year old well but he was fully god and he was fully man so he fully he he had the knowledge and the understanding so he could keep himself out of the bathwater if he wanted he, to. <laughs> he could keep himself out of the bathwater if he wanted to. Well, and this is a total, this is a side note, and I don't know fully. But did Jesus have the Holy, the Holy Spirit? Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Like the Trinity is God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did he need the Holy Spirit? Is that something? I imagine that it was always his guide. I mean, would, I feel he like. He would never be anywhere without the Holy Spirit there. Wasn't that the purpose of the baptism? Didn't the Spirit descend on him like a dove? When he was baptized, oh, when he came up there. out of the water, you got me. Well, that's a whole nother episode because you could really have a big <laughs> conversation about that one. I want to look really quickly at what comes a little further than what you just said. You stopped in verse forty-eight, where Mary has asked Jesus, "Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you." And I think it's really interesting what comes after. Jesus says to them. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? And verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he said to them. How many times do you think that happened over the course of 30 years? I mean, we've talked several times about how he says things that don't make sense to the people (laughs) at the time. You know how frustrated they must have been. Um, These people who watched him be born and have watched him every moment of his life leading up to it. They did not understand what he said to them. I can, there's no way in the world that was the only time that happened. You know that happened more often than just then. I'm sure. 
We've looked at Jesus as a 12-year-old. I want to look back about 12 years, I guess. So looking... (laughs) I want to look at him as a baby. Looking at Jesus, this is in Luke chapter 2 again. He is being presented at the temple. He's eight days old. He's going to be circumcised and named. So there's this prophet named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, it says in chapter 2, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So Mary's at the temple. She's doing everything she needs to do. Jesus is being circumcised. So in verses 33 through 35, it says this, His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I cannot imagine, as a mother, this brand new baby and going through the swell of emotions and hormones and everything that's going on around this time, And someone tells you this, tells you that a sword will pierce your own soul because of your child. There's no way she had any clue what that meant. Mm. No way she had any clue what was to come. But I can imagine as a mother who, you know, mortality of infants and all of that was very, very different back then. And I can imagine they lost a lot of infants compared to us now. But as a mother, you feel so much anxiety and responsibility and just trying to keep your child alive (laughs) before you even try to raise them well into decent human beings. I just can't imagine what was going on in her mind. We've looked at the humanity. These two people, human beings, doing what they do, having babies, just so happened to be Jesus. We looked at the divine, what in the world it was like to parent the divine. So now let's look at the eternal. These two individuals, they played a very specific part in history. Mary and Joseph, they were something of a stepping stone between the Old Testament doctrine and the new. And we don't know anything about their deaths, though there is apparently some (laughs) elaborate beliefs about Mary's death, including some sort of third day resurrection. I think that's a Catholic thing. I don't know. We're not going to discuss that here, but (laughs) it's something for another day. And I really just want to take a moment and I want to revere these two people and the roles that they played in this grand scheme of eternity. And what must it have been about them to be chosen of all the people in all the world and not, not, not necessarily in the world because obviously it had to be of a certain lineage. I don't have any clue what that number of people could have been. But what was it about these two people? What did God know about their hearts and their minds, the ways they lived, the ways they spoke, and how they responded, that he entrusted these two individuals with the life of his son, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, is there anyone that you feel is trustworthy enough to raise your son if you had to choose? Like in the event of your death is a little bit different, but if you had to choose... No. That's uh, not a decision you'd take lightly. No, I don't I don't trust anybody with my children. Just no. I, I barely trust you. Just no. <laughs> you barely trust me. Them's fighting words. <laughs> and then you done throwing them out for everybody. Listen to you. <laughs> my life group has had several conversations here lately about we as mothers and feeling like we know best. This is my child, this is and and my locus of control. It is I who knows best. So obviously that comes 
from God, because everything comes from God, and we are created in his image. I can't imagine the heart of a father, what, just imagine what it was he was going through. And But the fact that these, just the role they play, these two people, like we, I'm curious of our role as parents and the things our children will, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back first, eventually go on to do in their lives. And the ripple effects. The ripple effects. I think that that's a, yep, that's the one. In closing, what was the most eye-opening anything from this? Study? The thing I caught the most of was, like I talked about before, about how they were both told the name of Christ in two separate instances by two different angels at two different times. And that that was, you know, those are those little confirmation nuggets that we get. Those are the things that keep me driving on, right? So. It's a literal, such a literal thing to say. It's so you. <laughs> that one little instance, that one little detail that they both got the name. That's that's all I needed. That's very much you. Whereas me, I'm, I get caught up in the, this grand, grand scheme, this big picture this vision of how it all works together. Nope. I'm just next step. <laughs> next step. Yeah. No. Check. I could I can overcomplicate anything. I can concur <laughs> with that. I can concur with that. Boop, 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 boop. So as always, we appreciate the time you've spent here with us. Our primary goals are to simply provide a fresh insight into the Bible we all love, while also inspiring your hunger to dig deeper into the Word on your own time. Thanks for supporting our mission. Join us later this month for a book review. We are currently reading Pastor Mark Forrest's new book called Beyond Bethlehem, and what a perfectly timed release it is, just in time for Advent and Christmas. See you then.